Greetings ladies and managers, and welcome to this latest video for Retreat Hell, taken from the subreddit HFY. The link to the original is down below, and if you enjoy the story, head over there and let the author know. If you wish to support this channel, there are many ways to do so, also, strangely enough, listed down below. Don't forget to subscribe, or we'll have a platoon of angry cat-like creatures attacking you in your sleep. Anyways, on to the sci-fi. I would like to give a quick thanks to our Tier 5 channel members and patrons. Fallen Angel Buzz Killington Thank you, again. Now on to the story. Retreat Hell, Chapter 14, Part 2 Ren was excited. Today was another range day, which was fun enough on its own. And beats the hell out of PT days, he thought. But today was a particularly exciting day. Shooters, release your slide and make condition one. A series of distinctive clacks rolled down the fire line as Rin and the other artificers thumbed the slide release on the side of the M9 pistols that they had been given. After an hour on the range, drilling with an empty weapon, they had finally been given a direction to load ammunition. Shooters! Stand by! Fire! He thumbed off the safety, took aim down the sights like he'd been taught, and squeezed the trigger. He felt the point when the hammer released and the weapon bucked in his hand as the fire and thunder spit from the barrel. A barrage spread down the lines as the other Kishmen all took their first shots. Rin's ears lifted under the earmuffs and he grinned. The recoil was notable, but not nearly as great as he had feared. He even hit the target, though his accuracy wasn't great. The next shot was better. And he really understood what the Marines meant when they warned him about the difference between a single and double action. They emptied a full magazine, one shot at a time, and then were directed to reload and shoot another magazine. This one with double shots. Afterwards, they were given additional magazines and moved to another range set for their crash course in what the Marines called the Combat Pistol Program. It's not how I'd like to teach you all of this. Staff Sergeant Rickles had told them, This program is normally days of classroom training and testing, days of dry fire drills and exercise, and days of live fire coaching and training. You're getting it all condensed in... He glanced at his watch. Maybe four hours. He shook his head. But the brass wants you guys issued with pistols, and they want you familiar enough to use them in combat in a hurry. He snorted. Somebody decided you didn't need to carry rifles if you've got your magic sticks, but they still want you familiar enough with all of our weapon systems so that you can fight with them if you have to. He shook his head. And we don't have enough time for you to stand here and listen to me, bitch. Let's do this. Draw, shoot, holster, move. Draw, shoot, move, shoot, sweep, shoot, clear, move, not clear, shoot. The next two hours were spent running through a dynamic shooting range with marine instructors borrowing them through course, sometimes coaching them, sometimes screaming in their ears and driving up their stress. When it was all said and done, Rin sat against the berm, panting with his other Kishman, his arms sore, his hands stiff and a little numb, but happy. He had no idea how many rounds he had fired, 
and he was ready for a break, but shooting had been fun. His tail twitched in excitement. They were heading out for lunch in a minute, but after that, they were going to play with rifles and machine guns. Ready, Bradford asked. Ready, Rin said, giving her a confident dip in the air, his tail stiff as he tensed to move. Hit it, she said. He brought up his staff, and the squad-sized shield shimmered into existence. Shields up! Go, go, go! Bradford shouted, surging forward, the rest of the second squad following behind. Spell blasts and simunitions zipped past them, and they splashed across Rin's shield as the marines surged out of cover. They snapped off several shots at the pop-up targets, and Kowalski sprayed a long burst of suppressing fire back in the direction where they were getting lit up from. Then the whole squad was moving across the long, open stretch. The magic blast shattered and deflected with almost electronic pings and zaps that wouldn't have been out of place on the soundboard of any sci-fi movie battle. The simunition rounds burst open with a weird electronic whipple and wobble. The colored paint splashed across the shields for a brief moment before being flicked away by the shield itself creating odd flares of pastel and neon colors in the air. Dodging around stumps and brush deliberately left in place for a new dynamic range built at the edge of the ever-expanding base, the quad ducked into cover and set up their new firing position, and Rin canceled his shield, revoting back to a low-level armor enhancement that was guesstimated to keep the marines' armor plates from cracking with a single shot. Anyone hit? Bradford asked earning a mock insulted glare from Rin. The other marines checked themselves and reported both negative. Outstanding. Get ready to move again. Two more hops and we'll be there, she glanced at Rin. You're still good. Yep, he yipped. He was panting, but his ears and tail were up. His eyes were bright. She grinned. Ready. Ready. Hit it. Pretty damn impressive, Sergeant, Second Artificer. Major Volchik said, That shield trick gives you a whole new level of mobility in the battlefield, and increased survivability along with it. He looked past them for a moment. There's more than a few times I can think of where I wish we had something like that in Iraq. He brought his gaze back to the present. I know you've already proven effective against elves in combat, Second Artificer, but how well can others stand up to that kind of fire? Rin waggled his ears. Most can put up a shield as strong as mine, or nearly so. They just don't have the knack for controlling it well. He rolled his ears at a shrug. Some of it is just not being as familiar with the spell structs and their fine manipulation, but some of it is intuition of how to best angle the shield to be efficient with it. Ishai snorted, rolling an ear at Rin. Don't be so modest a yacht. You're better educated than most artificers of your station, but you're also one of the most powerful and talented artificers I've seen who wasn't a savant. He turned back to Volchik. Any single-field artificer in the royal host can put up a shield that can compare to his, but few can sustain it for as long or as well as he can. And I've never heard of a single artificer deflecting a blast from a mage tower before. He flicked an ear. In groups, it's not that hard of a task, but the power and skill of a single artificer has far less than the impact information shield. He paused. His ears canted and he considered for a moment, 
Any field artificer attached to one of your squads could do what Rin just did, though few would be able to keep up with him or block heavy artillery. Volchek nodded. Hill, the protection from small arms fire alone is impressive and valuable, he snorted. Implemented on a large scale, it could be a major revolution in small arms and infantry targets. He looked at Ren and Yushai. Was there anything you wanted to show us or try out? Rin trudged back into the barracks with the rest of his squad. They were all tired and dirty from running around in the dynamic range all day, and two hours spent clearing timber and building dirt with log walls. Since the crew tasked with building their new dynamic range hadn't actually finished it before being sent off on another task. They were just starting to take off their packs when a strange noise came from the head. Quirking his ears at the whole squad turned to look. Ren recognized it as someone uh, beatboxing. Two barracks bunny girls go around the outside, round the outside, round the outside. Someone started singing and Ren quirked his head. Two barracks bunny girls go round the outside, round the outside, round the outside. A marine came walking out of the head, one hand up to his face like he was holding something, the other bobbing in the air above him. On the taller side, he still had an awkward lankiness to him, despite the marine physique. His short cropped hair was blonde, and he wore thick-rimmed glasses over his blue eyes. Guess who's back to back, back back again, gang gang. Elders back to back, tell a friend for friend. The rest of the squad went wild, immediately dropping the gear and swarming the new arrival. Elder! Glee Club! You're crazy freaking bastard! About time you got back to the war! Getting a better look at the man, around the other marines who were all but dogpiling him, Ren realized he did look familiar. Back in the war, last time I checked, you guys were lounging around in Coronado Beach. Man, that was nearly two weeks ago. We're gearing up for the next offensive now. And trading. Hey, Shields, Gimba called. Get over here. You guys never got properly introduced. Ren finished stowing his pack under his rack and walked over to the crowd. Elder, this is the second artificer, Ren. Shields, a yacht, Kowalski said, throwing an arm over Ren's shoulders. We managed to hang on to the furry bastard after we picked him up at the first fight, and he saved our asses a bunch of times now. He withdrew an arm and pointed at Alda. And this is the man, the myth, the legend, Private, excuse me. Kowalski tapped Elder's rank tab. Lance Corporal Thomas Glee Club, Elder. Gabs is the brains of our operation, but Elder is the musical soul of the squad. Nearly all of our musical traditions were started by him, or made musical by him. Nah, half of them you guys already had. I just embraced them. He grinned, shoving off Kowalski's praise. You were the one of the marines that was in Medivact, Renard said. Yep, he nodded. Piece of the shrapnel tore my butt cheek real good. Gonna have a wicked scar from it too. But I'm fit to fight now and ready to kick some Alvin ass. Out of the corner of his eyes, Ren saw Davies frown at him and Alda, and then nudged Stephens with a confused look. Oh, right, rah, he said, and whispered a translation. Glad to hear it, Bradford said, patting him on the back. Though, at this point, we're about to go grab some chow. Get cleaned up and hit the rack. Tomorrow's heavy PT, and we've got an extra early start. 
You fit for a full day? Um, mostly, he said. I can run and fight, he added, after Bradford's glare. But I've got a chit that says I'm not supposed to do heavy lifting for a few more days. So only a little broke dick, just like everything else supply sends us, Dubois said, patting him on the back. Glad to have you back, man. Good to be back. Oh, I talked to Gutierrez. We shared a room for a while, actually. He's doing good, but he's got months of rehab, and the docs aren't sure if he'll ever be back to walking again. But they kept his leg, he chuckled. They stuck him in my room when they first brought him out of the surgery. And when he first woke up, he was still pretty out of it. I had him convinced that they put his leg on backwards for about three hours, till he sobered up enough to actually freaking look. <laughs> he, he probably would have danced better like that anyway, Samson said. Oh, you guys have no idea, Kowalski said. Did I ever tell you about that time, back when he and I were both lance corporals, that he tried to get a dance competition going with some hajis in one of the villages on our patrol route? Bradford snorted. I don't think I've heard of this one. She shook her head. Come on, you can tell us about it on the way to jail. So, we're on an arts and minds mission, stopping at the villages on our patrol route, trying to get the hajis to like us, right? Kowalski said as he headed for the barracks. Ren quirked in here, eager to hear the story Kowalski and more human escapades as the rest of the squad, but glad that Bradford had suggested the tale be told on the way to the chow hall. He was starving. So, uh, Gutierrez was like, uh, we all dance, everyone dances. Dancing's a great way to share cultures and make everyone happy with us. And we were like, uh, sounds legit. So our tea bought off on it. Mind you, we all knew Gujarat was big on dancing without actually being any good. Well, this was before we had figured out just how freaking terrible he was. But boy, did we freaking learn. We freaking learned, all right. We keep learning how they fight, and all of our effort is directed at learning what we can do to improve how they fight, Ayan said, cutting into a slice of pork roast. Why do we never show them how we fight? Because they already know how we fight, Ishai said, after swallowing a bite of pork. They used to fight the same way themselves, hundreds of years ago, with their, um, technology. Our way of fighting is obsolete. He gave a snort and an ear flick. Hells below, if we had a supply of mana to meet all our needs, the way we fight now would be obsolete for us too. Do they expect us to just follow their lead on this whole campaign? Anyo asked. To take a subservient role while they run the war, as if we haven't been fighting it for the last seven years. Anyo's ear flicked towards Rin, where he sat with the other common artifices at the far end of the table. But this time he kept his mouth shut. Today had been a long day starting with an early run. Then the whole morning and part of the afternoon had been spent running around, learning American military squad tactics at open field and close buildings, followed by heavy PT session in the gym. He was tired and sore, and nothing he had to say at this point would be appropriate for the yeoman to say to an earl. Besides, he was starving and the humans were feeding them better in these dinners than anything that was being served in the chow hall. Well, 
If they're content to let us just sit back and watch while they win the war for us, I'm not entirely sure we shouldn't take them up on the offer. He smirked after crunching down on another carrot. He'd taken a liking to the orange tubers. I'm sure our troops wouldn't have anything to complain about that. If the troops had anything to say about it, they'd be lounging around drunk all day, all packed up and gone home. Anyo twitched his ears in annoyance. We should be at the very front of this. Rin bit through his own carrot and bit his tongue to keep his mouth shut. Worried about missing your chance for glory, Talbu. You shy, quirked an ear at him. Damn the glory, man. I'm talking about politics. Anya all but tossed his fork on the table. Whomever drives this war to victory will have the power of position. They'll be able to dictate terms, not just to the elves, but to anyone else who fought. The humans have strength of arms enough as it is. If we allow them to run this war and claim the victory, where does that leave us? You have a fair point, Ishai said, and one that is not unconsidered. As it should be, Anyo said, continuing his rant as if he built up steam. And moreover is the insult. They are peasants, the lot of them. They would dictate and give commands to us, to the king. Concerns of culture and propriety only carry so much force in the battlefield, Talbu, Ishai said with another subtle smile. Their strength of arms is a point in favor of this, Onion said. They undoubtedly have a stronger military force. It is only natural that they would expect to take a leading role in the conflict. Anya, Ayan, and Yushai continued their discussion of politics for several minutes, and Anya, not missing the opportunity to disparage the humans or cast out upon their intentions or motives, Eventually, the conversation wandered back to the subject of their own troops. The gallant soldier have no care or concern for the higher matters of strategy or politics or the war at all. Even these we have here, if not for the orders from their betters, or perhaps the temptations of human technologies, would gladly just wander off home. No concern for the war or the kingdom at all. In fact, Anyun's rant was interrupted by a sharp clatter of Rin's chair hitting the floor. His ears twitched and raged, and he had no memory of standing. I am from Lalai, my lord, he spat. I have been home in this war, with the whole of the royal host to my back, he growled between his clenched teeth. We arrived in time for me to bury what was left of my family and the ashes of my home. Every man that fought and bled and died beside me was committed to defending the kingdom, defending our homes and our families. And I would gladly fight and bleed and die if necessary, seeing this war to its end alongside the valiant men and women who came through that portal. He shouted, pointing through the wall, then spend one more minute listening to the shriveling coward like you. The room fell into such a silence that one could hear a pin drop as every eye and ear in the room was locked on him. Mouths agape in shock. Realizing what he had done and said, Rin turned to Yushai and gave him a deep, formal bow. Your Grace, I apologize for disgracing your table. 
I will disgrace it no further. He rose from his bow, turned with a parade ground precision, and marched out of the room. Radford walked into the unfinished conference room, not happy that she'd had to be there. The rest of the squad was preparing and staging gear for field exercises that Brost was planning the following week. She, on the other hand, had a mandatory sit-down session to talk about her feelings. At least the room's more than three-quarters done, she thought, as she found a seat in the circle of chairs, nodding at a few people she recognized. Several other marines were already there, and all of them were female. A few more followed in behind her. Most were enlisted, but three were officers, one of whom was a Major Winters. Now that everyone's here, let's get started, said a civilian woman, who joined them in the circle. My name is Carol Quincy. We're here to discuss and evaluate how you all are doing, and give each of you an opportunity to share advice and support. She took a breath, giving a sincere look around the circle. Cannot stress enough that this is not a critical evaluation of your performance or capabilities. This is to evaluate how you are each doing mentally and emotionally. The Marine Corps is committed to putting women in combat roles. That's not going to change. But it is also understood that, uh, as some of the first women in those roles, the stress and strain on you is going to be particularly high. We're here to talk to each other without the men around to give each other support, advice, and to work out our issues. If there's anything you want to talk about in private, anything you need more specific help or action with, I'm available at any time. She sat back with a smile. Now, with all of that said, let's start with introductions. Major, if you'd start us out, tell us who you are, what unit you're with, and a little bit about your career, and something interesting about yourself. Of course, she said, then took a breath. Many of you already know who I am. I'm Major Carol Winters, XO of 2nd Battalion, 5th Marine. I've done two tours in Iraq, and I just came from a tour in Afghanistan. She paused to think for a minute. Got two kids, a girl, a five, and a boy at three. They went about the room. Most of the women were infantry, though a few were not. The ones who were senior enough to have already done the deployment had all seen action, even the ones who weren't actually infantry. Most of something interesting had to do with family or personal hobbies, though a few were a bit more exotic. Her turn came around and she took a deep breath. I'm Sergeant Jamie Bradford. I'm squad leader of 2nd Squad, 1st Platoon, Echo Company, 2-5. I caught the last quarter of our deployment in Afghanistan. She paused, looking for something interesting about herself. I'm a fourth-generation Marine. My family has fought in every conflict we've been in since World War II. Introductions continued around the room. Bradford dutifully paid attention and took mental notes, but she wasn't particularly interested in the activity. Her squad was doing work without her. She had work to do. Carol spent the next 30 minutes prompting and promoting discussion, teasing conversation out of several who weren't particularly interested in talking, and keeping those who were all too ready to talk from dominating the discussion. All right, at this point, I'm going to step out of the room and let you all talk amongst yourselves. Whatever you say here will be between each of you. This is your opportunity to connect with each other, share advice and experience, and support each other. 
without feeling like anyone is looking over your shoulder. I'll come back in the end to wrap up the discussion. She stood up, and Major Winter stood up as well. This is where I'll be leaving as well. I'm high enough in the chain now that I can't hear or know about some things if they don't need to be brought to my attention. Just know that any of you need any help or advice, my door is always open. There were a few nods and murmurs around the room as they left, followed by an awkward silence. They stared at each other uncomfortably for a moment before one of the more talkative types finally broke the silence. Well, I guess I'll get us started then, she said. Her name was Susan. She told her daddy she enlisted because he wouldn't buy her a pony, but she'd secretly been wanting to be a marine for years. She took a breath. I, um, actually don't really have anything else to say that I want to talk about. She laughed a bit. I mean, I haven't been with my unit long, so I haven't had much more than the usual problems. She looked across the circle of Bradford. Jamie, right? She continued when she got the nod in return. They had been instructed to use first names in the counseling session. You've done part of the deployment already, but you haven't talked much. How have you been handling, uh, all the boys? Bradford shrugged. Uh, I don't know. I grew up with three brothers, two older, one younger, so I'm already used to hanging out as one of the guys. She paused to consider. I get some of the unpleasant crap from the other guys in the company now and again. And one guy in my squad is, uh, she frowned, an ass. But they mostly treat me like a sister. Sometimes I'm the baby sister they're trying to protect. Sometimes I'm the big sister they're looking up to or who has to take care of them. Lately, since I got bumped up to squad sergeant, I've been feeling more like a mom to the lot of them. Oh my god, yes, one of the sergeants across the circle said, rolling her eyes. Tracy, she had a kid in high school who she put up for adoption. My guys act like I'm their freaking mother. I don't have to clean up after them much, but I feel like I'm babysitting a bunch of freaking toddlers. <laughs> yeah, I'm the platoon mom too. Another sergeant laughed. Lauren, she enlisted with her brother. Oh God, they've been doing the same with me too. Susan squeezed her head between her hands with a grimace, which gets really awkward when I sometimes have dreams about freaking a couple of them. Only dreams? Another corporal asked, a sly grin on her face. Casey was her name. Her interesting fact was that she had lost her virginity in a combat zone. Wait, you have. Why not? If it's not in the chain of command, who cares? I don't freck people at work, Bradford said. As a rule. That might be all well and good for you, but the girl's got needs. Casey pointed to her thumb back to herself and smirked. They make a big deal about the guys being horny marines, but they forget... We're marines, too, she shrugged. They get an itch, I got an itch, we both scratch each other and move on. I'm dating a guy from another company, another corporal said, Aisha. Her dad was a lawyer and all of his siblings were in law school. She was a family disappointment. We've been keeping it down low, but I honestly don't think we're really fooling anyone. Nah, dating's a bad idea, Casey said. I don't date uniforms. I don't know. He's sweet, and we, uh, really click, you know. What about the emotional attachment thing? Susan asked. Oh, I make it clear that there's no strings attached, and if they start acting like there are, I make it clear that we're done. Has anyone had their superior suggest sex would improve their, well, one of the quieter Lon's corporals asked. Wendy. 
Her mother was a Polish immigrant, and she chose infantry to prove her mother that she could handle being an adult. And to pay for school. Honey, that's happened. You need to report that crap ASAP, Casey said. If you need help doing that, let me know, one of the lieutenants said. Daniela. She had a BA in theater and a minor in business management. She had signed on to pay for school and saw action in Afghanistan. No, no, nobody has, Wendy said. I was just, just wondering. I, I, I hear stories, but didn't know if any of them were true. I have a staff sergeant, Jenny. She got in trouble in high school, and the judge was a former Marine who let her off easy if she enlisted. This was a couple years ago. I told him to go frick himself, and if he suggested it again, I would report him. She shrugged. He dropped it, and I got a decent email, she frowned. Can't help but wonder if I should have reported him. I didn't have any problem telling him to go frick himself, but someone else after me might have. The discussion wandered around for a while after that, and to Bradford's surprise, she found herself taking on a more of a mentor role and sharing some advice with how she had handled the men in her squad. After about 40 minutes of discussion, Carol came back in. She asked if there was anything they learned that they wanted to talk about or that they thought might be a good advice for other women in their position. She took several notes. They discussed another question or two. Then Carol closed a notebook in her lap. Well, that wraps things up for today. I'd like to have another one of these in a couple weeks. But with the war, nothing is set in stone. If at any point any of you need to talk about things discussed today, or anything else, my door is always open. Thank you for your time. Bradford stood and stretched with the others and filed out of the building. With a brief glance around to verify her bearings, she headed back to the squad. She was concerned for what antics they might have gotten up to while she was away. But overall, she was much happier about the session coming up than she had been going in. I learned a couple things, and I helped several others learn more. Mind if I join you, second artificer? Ren lowered his ocarina. Not at all, my lord, he said, breaking an ear at an open seat. Lord Sayash sat down across from the table from him. It was only a second time Rin had seen the Lord Artificer in the common area. How may I be of service? On the contrary, second Artificer, I am here to be of service to you, Sayash said. He spared a brief glance at Rin's notebook and kept both ears facing him. And to thank you... My lord, Ren asked, sitting up. Since his outburst the previous night, the other Kishman had been silent or distant. It was after dinner now, and Sayash was the first Kishman to speak to him all day. First, to allay any fears you might have about your, um, words last evening. Duke Yushai has ordered that there be no consequences for you. Under other circumstances, it would go far beyond the bounds of what is appropriate for a yeoman to say to an earl. Never mind a soldier to an officer. He flicked an ear. And the night captain was quite adamant at demanding satisfaction for his honor. His ears wiggled back and forth. But his grace would hear none of it. You were provoked and insulted. And were you a nobleman yourself, you would have more than enough grounds to demand a satisfaction of your honor from Lord Anyo. Sayash ricked his ears at him and gave him a hint of brackish smile. Rin cocked an ear, surprised and intrigued. Thank you for telling me, my lord. I would have not expected his grace's support. 
No, I must thank you, Second Artificer, for opening my eyes about Night Captain Anyo. He added when Ren cocked an ear even further. I followed his lead because he was well above my own station, and it was right and proper for young lords such as myself and Ayan in the court of his favor and follow his example. But I did not see him for what he truly was, not until last night. Thanks to you, now we both see how following his shadow would besmirch our own honor, and how he would have us some... His ears twisted as he frowned. What is that phrase you regular troops are so fond of, about one's tail position during a bowel movement? Shitting out, lifting your tail, my lord. Sayesh smiled. Yes, that... Ridden flicked an ear in amusement, getting what he once said, said, without saying it himself. He's cleverer than he thought. The young lord took a deep breath. Now, this is not normally within the bounds of propriety, but there aren't many of us here, and as you are both assigned to the same company, I am your superior in this convoluted chain of command that we have. So, if you need an ear to vent your frustrations to, I am available. Sometimes we must air out our grievances, however inappropriate. He grinned, flicking an ear at Rin. It's good for the humors. Rin snorted, flicking an ear back. I uh, appreciate the offer, my lord, and I might take you up on that offer at some point. But I've already had the opportunity to express my grievances to my squad leader, Sergeant Bradford. Oh, Sayesh's ears flicked up in curiosity. And may I ask how that went? I, um... Rin's ears flicked back in mild embarrassment. I had previously spoken to Sergeant Bradford about, uh, home and, uh... He took a breath. I nearly had to physically restrain her from going off to Lord Anya herself. He flicked a single ear back against his skull and alternated them for a moment as Sayesh chuckled. She is very protective of her squad, my lord. I am glad to hear, and glad that you have found such a close comrades amongst the humans, and so quickly. It bodes well for us, and our future. I think they'll be good for us, my lord, and us them. I hope you're right, second artificer. He pushed himself up from his chair. If you have any concerns you wish help with, bring them to me, and I'll see that they are addressed. As you wish, my lord, Rin said, dipping his head. Oh, and one other thing, Sayesh said, pausing in his turn to depart. Be wary of Lord Anyo. His grace has ordered him to forget the matter, but he is, by my own experience and his reputation, a very vindictive man. Propriety and his own livers preclude him from acting openly against you, but I'll be terribly surprised if he does not seek some mode of reparation against you. Be on guard. Thank you for the warning, my lord, Rin said, dipping his head once more. With a nod and ear flick, Sayesh departed, leaving Rin to himself once more. Rin frowned at the table, his ears twitching as a cluster of marines played one of their video games in the opposite corner shouted at some noteworthy play. He looked up and saw Miller across the room, looking at him over top a book that he was reading. He met the man's gaze and gave him a nod and a dismissive ear flick. The stoic marine gave him a nod in return, and went back to reading his book. Rin looked down at his ocarina, stood in his hands, and brought it to his lips. He started his tune over, his thoughts wandering in a new direction. Movie night! 
Aldous said, bouncing down into a seat at the auditorium. Man, I so missed Mulan night. Dude, like 18 people have it on the hard drive somewhere. You can watch it at any time. Yeah, but it's not the first movie night. It's tradition. Fair enough, Bradford laughed, settling down in the open spot next to Rin. So what are we watching tonight? Even she was a bit stiff after the previous day's hand-to-hand training. Rin had snagged his bag of popcorn and then hobbled on his own chair. He wasn't sure if he would be able to stand back up again. Only the greatest movie ever made, Elton said. It'll totally make up for missing Mulan. Oh? And what is the greatest movie ever made? She asked as Rin happily snuffed into his bag of popcorn. One of the advantages of being so close to the portal is that they had a steady supply of human snacks. This time, they even got extra butter. You'll see, he said as the lights dimmed and the movie started. Someone fiddled with the projector a bit, adjusting the focus and slightly skewed angle. Rin wasn't sure how successful they were. The focus was better, but the angle was still slightly skewed, just in a different direction. Well, it's not a Disney movie, she said, as the logo of a giant word surrounding a globe played across the screen. I think that's the first for you. What is it? You'll see, he said, grinning. Is it a musical? She asked as the human rode some kind of velocipede with his creature in a basket across the moon. Hmm, he said as the moon appeared to be set in clouds. Is that a set of cat eyes in the clouds? She asked, and then her entire face fell as the light little tune that sounded like it was played on a strange clavichord started up. Oh no. Oh God, no! The scene descended and a car line the scene descended and a car unlike any he'd seen whilst visiting Earth rolled onto the screen. You freaking monster! Are you freaking kidding me? Alda giggled and high five Stephenson. Cats, are you freaking kidding me? Are you really gonna make us watch all of this? The greatest movie ever made. You're insane. Ever made. What's wrong with it? Rin asked around a mouthful of popcorn. It's just... Bradford rubbed her face with her hands. Well, you'll see. Just, just, don't judge humanity by this monstrosity. Please, it's, it's just a nightmare. Rin quirked an ear at her, giving her a sidelong glance, then turned his attention back to the movie with both ears. His curiosity peaked. An hour into the movie, Rin leaned over to whisper to Bradford. His attention still wrapped held by the screen. Do you know what's going on? I have no fucking idea, she whispered, staring at it with horrified fascination. I want to get up and leave, but I can't. Redden reached into his bag of popcorn and frowned when he found it empty. Cautiously, he reached over to steal some from Bradford, eliciting no reaction as she stared at the screen, as if she'd been hypnotized. Another hour later, the lights came back on as the name scrolled up the screen. I still don't understand anything that happened, he said, shaking his head. Nobody does, dude, Bradford said, a haunted expression on her face. Nobody does. She shook herself from her daze and then looked down at an empty bag of popcorn. Wait a minute, who the frack ate all my popcorn? Rin swept his ears back and gave her an innocent look as she turned to glare at him. You frick, she said, 
dumping the crumbs on his head. He yipped a laugh and then ducked under her arm to stick his own empty bag on her head. Here, I got you something to keep your head warm. Oh, freck you, she said, immediately grabbing him in a headlock and shoving both bags under his horns. He tried to slip away before she could grab him, but his bruised muscles betrayed him. Yeah, you can wear them. You don't have a cover anyway. He yipped a chuckle as she let him go, almost falling to the floor. Standing up like an old man, he managed to get his back straight. He brushed himself off and proudly wore the popcorn bags all the way back to the barracks. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed, and if you do, please consider supporting the author even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one, and until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers.